All right, we are live, Apologetics Live. Glad to have you here with us. And we have, I hope, a lot of fun in this show tonight. We're going to have a special show with a good friend of mine that we're going to bring in, and his name is Paul Taylor. And folks, if you don't know Paul, well, okay, I might as well get this out of the way first before he rips on me. You may need translation. He, he might sound a little funny, won't you? I'm sorry, what did you say? <laughs> he is from England, where they speak some language called uh, English. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, of course, how it should be spoken. And uh, when, when you get to heaven, uh, that this is the way that you will all be speaking. We'll speak Hebrew there. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that, that was a question that was asked to me this week. Um, was was what language do angels speak? And and uh, I was like, well, Hebrew. Everyone knows that, but <laughs> right. But uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know Hebrew, so I'm going to really struggle. Well, that's the que- The thing I think is, I think that we'll all, regardless of what language we spoke on Earth, I I, I have no scripture at all to support it. <laughs> I think we'll all understand one another. We'll all speak a language we all know. Um, can't support that in the Bible. Just it's, it's very likely. I mean, you can sort of half support it, can't you? Because uh, obviously one major problem that arose with the human race was the Tower of uh, Babel. And uh, therefore, we can assume that the consequences of the Tower of Babel will not um, exist uh, in, the, uh, in the world to come. So, um, yeah, it doesn't absolutely prove it, but it's sort of part way towards it's consistent with that i would think to for us all to be speaking the same language yeah so i didn't even introduce the show (laughs) (laughs) so i am andrew rapport your host of from striving for eternity this is apologetics live uh today's topics no we will not be stuck just to these topics we're going to talk about mount st helens we'll see why that in a moment we're going to talk about uh creation versus evolution. So if you have questions or challenges with that, you're going to have an expert here to be able to get those answered. Uh, and then we may even, if you haven't figured out why this may be a case, we may even talk about Brexit and Brit- Britain exiting from the, U- the uh, European Union there. So um, we'll see but if, folks, if you want to join, if you have questions, have some things you want to ask either Paul or I today, it doesn't have to be about creation or evolution, but those would be the best ones for today uh, for Paul to answer. But if you have any questions, you can go to apologeticslive.com. There is a link to both watch. You can watch it right there or you can join us and ask your question. And there are some, I guess, restrictions on browsers. We're using StreamYard, and I, I, as I know with Chrome browser, works great. You just have to say, accept the video and, and audio, and it's good to go. So, right. And uh, I'm, using, I'm using Firefox here, and that's working perfectly okay. So, Okay, good. Um. All righty. Well, that is the introduction. So let's start, Paul, with talking about Mount St. Helens. Something happened there almost 40 years ago. 
It was uh, on May the 18th, 1980, there was a, a, a large eruption and uh, it was a, a lateral blast, which means that instead of the eruption going upwards, it came out of the side of the volcano along the ground. So as far as the local area is concerned, it was a devastating eruption. Now, in the grand scheme of things, compared to a lot of other eruptions there have been around the world, it wasn't actually that big. But, of course, it happened in an area which is, a, uh, 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 even in 1980, was a technologically advanced area with uh, easy access to transport and to um, the media of the time. So it was an eruption that was broadcast very quickly and easily around the world. Um, the blast was powerful enough to rip trees up from uh, just above the roots and uh, with, uh, with a hot blast that had the uh, uh, the force of probably about a thousand Hiroshima type bombs um, the, uh, and, and extremely hot. Um, so there were uh, that blast uh, knocked down trees up to um, about 14 miles away from the volcano, sort of fanning out northwards, uh, northwest to northeast, 230 square miles of forest destroyed. There was a landslide uh, that filled up the valley to the north of the volcano to a depth of 600 feet. Uh, there were a number of uh, mud flows that flowed down the various uh, river valleys, uh, including a, a huge mud flow down the North Tootle River, um, which uh, was destroying properties up to um, 50 miles away from the eruption. And uh, the, the mud flows and the mud eventually made its way into the Columbia River, causing problems for shipping. So it was a devastating eruption in the area, causing an enormous amount of damage to the economy. Um, some neighborhoods uh, destroyed, railways and railway bridges and road bridges destroyed. Um, the road bridges... Some, most of the road bridges on certainly the major roads were eventually rebuilt, but that cost money. Railways were not really replaced. Uh, the large amounts of managed forest had to be replanted. So this was a, a devastating event economically. But I think as you probably want to uh, go on and ask, it is very interesting indeed to those of us who believe God's word to be true, because so many of the things that happened are not consistent with a uniformitarian evolutionary uh, view of how the world came about, but are consistent with a biblical approach to, uh, to looking at the world. And that's why we have a visitor center really there, a creation center, I should say, um, yep. up at Mount St. Helens, because there's a lot that Mount St. Helens teaches us about creation and the arguments with evolution um, before we get there, let's let's talk about your role. And I, I do have the website there for folks is uh, mshcreationcenter.org. And so that's where you can go to get more information about the what's going on up there. And so before we get into some creation evolution discussion, let's talk about the center itself, its purpose, what it does for folks. 
Okay, well, it, it is a visitor center. It's a creationist visitor center in the area, so people can come in and they can find out first of all about the volcanic eruption, uh, how that changed the landscape in many ways. That, as I said, are consistent with uh, a biblical account of the world and its formation. Um, we we see a number of effects that are very similar to uh, what must have happened at the time of the worldwide flood. So we also have information about the worldwide flood and how uh, uh, that affected the uh, the global um, geology of the world and uh, we have information uh, generally about the about the bible and how it teaches us uh, the truth from the very first verse so we we have this visitor center where you can come and look at uh, exhibits we have a, a sort of theater area where i can give pre presentations about uh, the volcano and about other um, uh, creation topics and uh, we can show um, films as well we have a number of uh, films that we have permission to show here that we can uh, that we can show and during the fall we will be having uh, a regular film show just keep an eye on our website so we can work out what day of the week that will be and uh, we take people on trips to various interesting locations in the Pacific Northwest, especially around the volcano, so that they can actually see for themselves what's, uh, what happened in the area and what the biblical interpretation of those is. We are situated on the interstate I-5, just off exit 49 in Washington State, uh, in the tiny city of Castle Rock. Uh, so we're in the middle of downtown Castle Rock. It's, a, as I said, it's a very tiny city, population of 2,000. Um, it's a great place for uh, tourists to be able to come and break their journey partway between Portland and Seattle. And uh, it's uh, really the entrance to the way that you would tend to uh, approach the volcano. From exit 49, there is the road up to the Johnston Ridge Observatory, the closest viewpoint to the volcano. So we take people uh, on excursions there. Uh, we take a caravan of cars from our center and uh, stop at different places where I can explain to people what happened in those places and uh, explain them from a biblical point of view. We do sometimes take people around the south south side of the volcano so they can see the effects of an earlier eruption that must have happened about 2,000 years ago and we take people around the east side of the volcano which is very remote uh, with um, roads in poor condition but uh, what's interesting around the east being a lot wilder is that um, things have not been cleared up really since the uh, 1980 eruption there and uh, it's very interesting to look at things there and we take people to see other things of interest uh, uh, from a, a biblical creation standpoint in the area, such as uh, the Columbia Gorge and the Dry Falls, for example. Yeah, now when we think about Mount St. Helens, um, there and, and this ministry, I should actually say, the, you didn't start the ministry. It's, it was well established before you got there and started running it. Your position there, I don't think you mentioned it, I'm the director of the ministry, so uh, it is a very small ministry. It's it's principally me. Um, I do have a couple of volunteers who uh, who help with different things on on occasions, um, uh, but it is principally me. Um, so I'm the, I'm the only one who is um, being compensated for uh, for for the work done here. I'm here full time. Um, 
So, yeah, I'm the director of the ministry. The ministry was founded in 1998 uh, by a gentleman called Lloyd Anderson, who uh, was a retired pastor in 1998. Um and uh, in 2014, the board of the ministry invited uh, me to take over the ministry, uh, which uh, I was very pleased to do. So this is very much a base for my ministry generally. You know, I use this base to communicate with people to, um, and uh, from here to travel to other parts of the country and uh, other countries as well uh, to uh, to explain to organizations and churches why they can trust uh, the Bible from the very first verse. Well, and we should mention, you know, you used to work, you actually, I think you used to be the director of Answers in Genesis UK, right? Um, I, I was I was for a little while their senior speaker in the, yeah. in the United Kingdom. I uh, I worked as a, as a speaker, an itinerant speaker for Answers in Genesis in the UK uh, from uh, 2005 to 2011, and for the last two years of that, I was uh, uh, their their senior speaker in the UK. And then you came to the United States working with uh, Eric Coven. That's Over correct. There. In uh, Creation Today in Pensacola, so, so you uh, had a that was lot. Great background in creation ministry <laughs> um well i've been really involved in creation ministry since my late teens so that is uh, uh over 300, 300 years i'm uh, sorry yeah. uh, it's for, uh, over 40 years <laughs> um, <laughs> you 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 were around for abraham lincoln right you were <laughs> I, I taught him everything he knew <laughs> uh, so there's now there's one thing that I got the privilege of learning about you that others may not know. Uh, you and I were, were both speaking in California, staying in someone's home, and they had a piano. And I got a rare treat because you are a concert pianist, right? Mm, no, uh, I'm not a concert pianist. Well, uh, I mean, um, you have to keep up uh, with practice very very regularly to maintain that level and i'm nowhere near that level now i did pretty nearly approach that level i was trained as a concert pianist yes so uh, uh i was uh, close to that level at the uh, uh, uh during high school i uh, during my high school years i was trained that way but uh, i i enjoy playing the piano uh, i uh, that's something that I do for my own relaxation. And, uh, you're very good at it. <laughs> yeah, my own little, uh, you know, you're just sitting there and all of a sudden I got my own little concert. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and remind folks if they want to come in, ask questions, or if you have a challenge for either of us, uh, maybe on creation or evolution, you can go to apologeticslive.com. There is a link to join there to participate and you could. Join us and ask any questions or even challenge us. We don't bite too hard through the internet. Um, <laughs> so, so let's talk about while we wait for folks to come in and ask questions, let's talk about why Mount St. Helens creation center is, is so interesting as far as for creationists. Now for the record, you're a six day, you believe that God created everything in six days, about 6,000 years ago. Correct. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. Just so folks, because there were some folks in chat asking, does is he a young earther? Yes. But I actually, I agree with you. I, I You have a podcast with the Mount St. Helens Creation Center. I agree with you. 
Uh, I don't think the earth is young. Well, this is something I was, I was interviewed on another podcast, uh, um, a couple of years ago. And the first question that the, um, interviewer asked was, uh, why do you call yourself a young earth creationist? And I said, I don't. <laughs> and so I could hear him beginning to panic on the other end of the phone. He thought, has he got the right person? You know, and so I followed it up just to tease him a bit more and said, you know, I believe that the earth is uh, very, very old. And, you know, I can hear the sort of gasping, you know, and he's like, he was about to come in. And I said, uh, the earth is just over 6,000 years old. And that's very old. I don't know of anything that is that old because uh, that is, uh, that is when the Bible says that God made the universe. And I said, now the reason why some people call themselves young earth creationists is because they're saying that the earth is young compared to the millions and billions of years that evolutionary theory and deep time ideas require. But um, I don't see why I should define myself in terms of what uh, evolutionists and deep time people would, uh, would, would accept. I'm going to define myself in terms of what the Bible says. And the Bible makes very clear that the earth is just over 6,000 years old now uh, you know some people try and make a great significance on the um the number six thousand there isn't a significance really on that number other than the fact that that is uh you know the the earth is just over that age um there is a margin of error in our calculations but we get the figures from scripture so we uh, i would describe myself therefore as a biblical creationist rather than a young earth creationist yeah, and that's, I think, for folks who may be not understand that, how do we get this from the Bible? The way we do this is we look at the scriptures, and we have you know, Adam was a certain age before he had children. He was so old before he died. You can look at when he gave had his children and when he had Seth, and you can go through each one of these things, and you end up being able to draw a chronology. Now, uh, when I was a young believer— uh, I was still trying to see if, because what I believed was before becoming a Christian was very much not Christian. It was Jewish. And so being the engineer type, I wanted to see if I could prove the Bible wrong. Because if I could, then I could yes. stop believing this. And yes. I, I approached it, and I did this as a Christian, but still being a tad bit skeptical. And my thinking was the easiest way for someone to mess up, and I've done this when I study Mormonism or any of the other religions, the easiest way when they write some documents that they say are written by God is with numbers, when, when people forget numbers. And birth dates are an easy one to, to forget. If you're going all this time and you're going to say so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, you can actually measure that out. And that's what I actually did as I went through the Bible – I recorded the, the dates because the one thing I could say is if I could prove that somebody lived beyond the flood that wasn't one of the people mentioned being on the flood or in, in the in the ark that would go beyond that margin of error, then I could show mathematically the Bible was wrong. I got very close with Methuselah, who would have died probably the same year as the flood by my calculations. Now, why is there a margin of error? The reason we say there's a margin of error is because you have 
Adam was, uh, I think, 130 before he gives birth to Seth. Um, he, Paul's going to correct me on this if I get it wrong. <laughs> but I've got I've got the Bible in front of me. But yeah. um, I mean, what you're you're saying is, uh, uh, for example, in Genesis 11 verse 10, it says, "When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arphaxad." And um, by the way, I know a lot of young. Um, Christian couples like to give their children biblical names. So, you know, if you haven't thought of a name for your son, this is this could be an option. Um, you know, I don't. Uh, we we could do with more Arphaxads in the church. I Maybe think in, so. In the UK, that'll work. Not here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds better when you say it. Yeah, but uh, was when when Arphaxad was born. This is a pretty obvious point. This was his father Shem. 100 was it his 100th birthday or was he just one day short of his 101st birthday so you see that for every entry that we're looking at in those chrono genealogies where there are numbers um, there is a possibility of a year's margin of error now uh, we can move on a little bit further and show some other margins of error where people will make a slightly different calculation for example i have calculated the age of the earth to be 6022 now as i said you've got a, you've got a margin of error there you can add on some numbers due to each of those entries here's another place you could add on some numbers you see i've taken it that the uh, looking at uh, Galatians 3, uh, that the uh, sojourn of Abraham uh, is dated from probably shortly after he leaves Haran. Um, and that is the 430 years. Um, some other people would date the 430 years as starting when Ishmael is making fun of Isaac. But still other people would say, quite understandably, that the 430 years cannot start until the Israelites are in Egypt. Now, if you take my view, then the uh, Israelites were only in captivity in Egypt for 215 years. But again, it is perfectly justifiable for some people to say, no, that, that won't do. Uh, that has to be 430 years actually there. Uh, by coincidence, 215 is half of 430. But here's the point. There's a, a margin of error then of 215 years. So you could add another 215 to my age of the earth. Um, so you're getting to about, you, you can, you can stretch the age of the earth probably to about 6,500 years. Um, that's about it if you're using the Masoretic text. Now, of course, if you're going to take the numbers, the figures from the um, Septuagint instead, where the numbers are slightly um, longer, I, I'm, I'm pretty clear in my mind, I've read around a bit and I've read what a couple of different people said, I'm pretty clear in my mind that the Septuagint numbers are incorrect. But if you took them as correct, that might add about another 800 years. So you'd be getting up to an age of 7,500 years. And that's about as far as you can stretch it, even giving every possible margin of error. So the point that I'm making with all this is that whatever um, system you look at with the Bible, taking the biblical figures, you are never going to be able to stretch the age of the earth even to 10,000 years, let alone millions of years. Uh, it just simply does not make sense. 
Yes. And there, we did have someone come in to ask questions. There were actually three people that came in on one camera and they disappeared. Oh, we don't know what the question was, so we can't ask that. But folks, come back in. Um, we I was wanted to let uh, Paul finish this thinking out before we got, went to the question. So anyone who does want to join, ask questions, you can go to apologeticslive.com. The link to participate is there. Um, I should mention something, Paul, that you and I have not probably talked about. This by way of a commercial here is we're going to Israel. Striving for Eternity is taking a team to Israel. We're not taking the team to Mount St. Helens yet, but maybe we will. Um, maybe we should do a trip like that. But if folks are interested in going to Israel in 2021, IsraelTrip.com. Now, this is March of 2021. You got over 500 days, lots of time to save. So you can do that. And therefore, you would be able to uh, to get started now. But if you do this in the, the month of September, you can save a hundred dollars. All right, because there, we're giving a hundred dollars off to every person. So go to twenty twenty one israeltrip dot com. It will be the people doing the speaking will be myself. Anthony Svestro, Frank Mullis, the three speakers from Striving Fraternity, and we will have joining us Justin Peters. Uh, so he is going to be coming as well, and we're going to be doing the teaching. The, the cost includes your hotel stays, your flight from JFK, your breakfast and dinners, the guides, the bus, the bus driver, things like that. And uh, the only thing you really have to pay is lunch. Uh, once you get there. Now, if you're not flying out of JFK, I forget the discount, but you meet us in, I think, Tel Aviv and we'll meet you there. And that way we can uh, we can save you some money possibly. So go to 2021israeltrip.com to get those details. Now, I forgot to mention at the beginning, Paul, I'm going to have next week, uh, we're going to have Dr. Jason Lyle on. Excellent. And you know. Yeah. So, uh, he's going to come in, and for folks who don't know him, he's he's a a little bit of a smart dude, don't you think? Well, and one one very good thing about the fact that he's going to be on next week is if you've got any listeners and uh, any viewers coming in shortly who've got very difficult questions to ask about. Um, um, uh, astronomy and about uh, starlight issues, how light got across the universe and so on. I would have tried to tackle those with uh, Jason's ideas because I've tried to read through them, but uh, maybe it would be a lot easier. I can tell people simply hold on to your question for next week. Then <laughs> All difficult astronomy questions can be given to uh, Dr. Lyle next week instead of fielded <laughs> to me. Yeah. If any of you are interested, by the way, in coming to visit Mount St. Helens, we are here all year. People can come and, uh, uh, and and take an excursion, but we will be doing a special, an extra special anniversary vacation, which will be from August the 18th through uh, the 22nd next uh, next year. We will be shortly getting a website um, uh, up and running for that, and that will be a big event where you'll have uh, a number of speakers who will be able who will be giving you uh, information generally about uh, biblical creation issues, and also we'll be taking you out into uh, the field to have a look at things, to have a look at different places around the volcano, and even uh, um, 
one of our speakers will be taking people down into the uh, or at least to the rim of the little grand canyon close to the volcano so we'll have uh, dr steve austin here and uh dr keith swenson uh and uh, also um uh, eric hovind and jay siegert and myself and there'll probably be some other people as well so uh look out for that please so uh, that's uh, uh something that um uh, is is being organized uh, for next August, being organized by a Living Waters Bible Camp uh, of Wisconsin, and they're organizing that on our behalf uh, next for next August. Yeah, so, you know, here's a question you can see on the screen that Melanie had asked is, said, hi, so glad I found this. Uh, is there any guided group hikes plan to climb Mount St. Helens in the future? Huh. Okay, well, I, I don't <laughs> climb Mount St. Helens because, as you can see, I'm an overweight middle-aged man. So uh, the excursions I take people on are car excursions. We do some short hikes, too, uh, and um, so there are a large number of those things, and you can find them on our website. Um, I, I can point you in the direction of some organizations that do um trips up the south side of the volcano to the to the rim that's really beyond me but what we're, what we're doing is uh, showing people the area in ways that everyone can access and telling you about the history and putting everything into a biblical context for you so those those are frequently there on our website we're coming to the end of the season though we still do have a few more uh, for example we do have uh, an excursion around the south side of the volcano um, timed for uh September the 27th, Friday, September the 27th. That's an open um, excursion uh, and still has uh, plenty of spaces available on that. So if you want to go uh, join us on that one and um, walk into the Lava Canyon and uh, have a look at the entrance to the Ape Cave and uh, things of that sort, then uh, come and join us on uh, Friday, September 27th. And keep an eye on what else is on our website uh, for uh, events in the area. Yeah. So, and, and the website again for folks that might be listening on the podcast, I'll have links in the show notes is, uh, MSH, Mount St. Helens, kind of, that's what that stands for, Mount St. Helens, uh, MSH creation center.org. And so go check that out. Uh, you know, she had another question on, and we got some people coming in and we'll, we'll go to them. Uh, but she did ask a question. Um, uh, she had also said, uh, and can you answer a question about how carbon dating could be wrong? Okay. Um, in, a, in a sense, I'd want to know exactly what she understands by carbon dating there because um, serious evolutionists uh, would not make the mistake that um, the popular press and TV programs and even some high school science teachers make because quite often carbon dating is misunderstood. So, for example, when I get an email from someone telling me, uh, well, they've carbon dated dinosaur fossils to be 65 million years old, I'll contact them back and say, no, they haven't. And it's just as simple as that. They haven't carbon dated um, dinosaur fossils to be 65 million years old because carbon dating, even if the Earth was this old, carbon dating doesn't actually give you an age of greater than 100,000 years at the maximum. So uh, really some of the problems with people talking about carbon dating are a misunderstanding of what it is. Carbon dating actually is, is a pretty good technique for what it's meant for if, if it's used pop properly. 
It's based on the idea that uh, there is a radioactive isotope of carbon. Carbon normally, the, the, the most common isotope of carbon is carbon-12, but you can produce a radioactive isotope, carbon-14, by bombardment of uh, nitrogen atoms in the atmosphere by um, uh, neutrons from the sun. So any living object is going to be bringing in uh, all sorts of carbon, including carbon-14, and also uh, removing those um, by, you know, different processes of their plants, by transpiration, by uh, photosynthesis, uh, 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 for animals, by respiration, different techniques, uh, eating, of course, and excretia. There's carbon-14 coming in, carbon-14 going out. The assumption then is that while an object is alive, it uh, the amount of carbon-14, the percentage of carbon-14 in that body is constant. When it dies, um, dead animals don't eat anything, so uh, the amount of carbon-14 will go down because each carbon-14 atom, um, there is a possibility of it decaying by radiation radioactive decay, turning back into nitrogen-14. So you can measure how much carbon-14 there is in a dead object, and you can use that to calculate then how old that object is. Now, you have to make assumptions in to do that calculation. You have to assume that not only do all living things today have a constant amount of carbon-14, you've got to assume that they did in the past too. Now, that assumption cannot be proved. You've also got to assume that there's no other mechanism that's removed carbon-14. Um, and you've also got to assume that uh, the half-life of carbon-14 hasn't changed. Um, with some other of the so-called longer-term radiometric dating methods, like uranium lead and so on, that work on igneous rocks, uh, we can show that those assumptions simply do not work. So this is the point. When you're measuring uh, something, the, what the scientists are doing is measuring the amount of carbon-14. Or in the case of uranium lead, they're measuring the amount of uranium and they're measuring the amount of lead. The calculation of age is then based on a number of assumptions. And those assumptions are not provable and can, in fact, uh, prove wrong. One final thing I'll quickly say about carbon-14. It's not difficult to find on the Internet examples of diamonds that may have been dated by a radiometric method, such as um, potassium argon, to be about a billion years old. And find, uh, of course, at a billion years old, it should not have any carbon-14 in. Um, it, no carbon-14 should be left. It should all have decayed. And yet uh, the diamonds do have carbon-14 in, giving them a carbon-14 age of something like about 65,000 years. Now, I don't believe the diamonds are 65,000 years old, and I don't believe they're a billion years old. I don't believe either value is correct. But I, I'm sure that even people who don't take a biblical view can see that both numbers cannot be correct. There is a problem there. Something is wrong. Yes, I agree. Now, let me let's before we go to Ralph here, who has a question. I want to, KT has a quick one for you. Which part of England is Paul originally from? I'm um, from. Uh, well, I usually tell when people ask me, I usually tell them that I'm from Manchester. Okay, Manchester is England's second city, so it's in the north of England. So I, I'm from Manchester. Now, if you wanted to be absolutely exact, I'm actually from a small town called Staley Bridge, about eight miles east of Manchester. But Manchester's the nearest big place that you've heard of to where I was brought up. You know, one of the funny things, when I was over in England um, doing some evangelism for the Olympics back some years ago, we got to tour uh, Oxford. And right. one of the, you know, we were just... Okay, so we're going through London and looking at dates on buildings and being like, 
wow. I mean, like there's buildings that are way older than, than the United States of America. (laughs) And we were just always amazed with these dates of buildings in like, you know, and, and, and monuments and things from the 1500s and stuff yes. like that. It was, yes. and it was really kind of funny. The professor from Oxford sat down and we were talking about this and he says, well, you know, you folks in a, in America think a hundred years is a long time. That's right. <laughs> and, and we here in England think a hundred miles is a far distance. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely right. <laughs> You know, how long does it take to drive from Manchester to London? Probably about three, between three and four hours, you know. And these days, I'm quite happy to view something three and four hours drive away as being local. Whereas, you know, when when you're in England, that's an entirely different region. We even speak with a different accent, Um, you know. Yeah, it was funny. My son, you know, growing up in New Jersey, New Jersey, I mean, from where we are, about an hour and a half in any direction, we're out of the state. You know, it's not that big of a state. My son moves to Texas. I mean, in the middle of Texas. And he was like, oh, we're going to go to a friend's for the weekend, for a long weekend in New Mexico. I'm like, well, text me when you leave. Text me when you get there. You know, I'm a concerned father. He texts me when he leaves. He texts me about 10 hours later. The text was 10 hours and we're still in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Big place, isn't that? Yeah. 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 Well, he, it was a rude awakening. He got out there and like, it wasn't more than a week or so. He's like, dad, do you know everyone out here? They drive with like rifles in the back of their car. I was like, yeah, welcome to America. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. The one thing that people will know ought to know about Manchester, of course, if you're interested in following soccer or football, as everyone else in the world calls it, mainly because it's played with a ball and the feet. Um, it, it, um, Manchester has uh, really two very well-known, two really good um, soccer teams. One's called Manchester City, and the other is the Manchester City Reserve Team. <laughs> All right. Well, let us let me get... That's a joke, that, for yeah. people who are interested yeah. in English soccer. You know, they'll, they'll, get, they'll get it, and I'll get, I'll get emails about that. <laughs> <laughs> let me bring Ralph in. So, Ralph, welcome. What, what questions or challenges do you have for us tonight? Hey, thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Paul. My eight-year-old uh, had a question, but he's gone to bed now. Is there any oh. chance of Mount? I know I have to share this yeah, with him. Wake him up. He wants to stay up late anyway. Yeah. yeah. He was wondering: uh, Is there any chance of Mount Saint Helens erupting again? Or there's been talk in the past five years of the super volcano in in the Yellowstone area. <clears throat> what what is the latest on that? Well, you know that all the all the volcanoes in the Cascade Range are active volcanoes, so any of them could erupt. Uh, of course, Mount St. Helens did erupt again. It erupted uh, a few times between 2004 and 2008, so it uh, it has erupted again. It's, it's pretty common for Mount St. Helens to erupt. What was uncommon was for it to erupt violently. Uh, because most eruptions of the volcano are not terribly big. And uh, the eruptions between 2004 and 2008 were not very spectacular and did not cause any uh, difficulties in the area, really. And, of course, um, Mount St. Helens can't really build up the pressure to do a devastating eruption because um, half the mountain's gone. So I think the chances of having a um, huge eruption at Mount St. Helens are remote, but the other volcanoes in the Cascade Range could go. Of course, the the volcano um, 
uh, one volcano that is counted as uh, the, probably the most dangerous volcano in the contiguous 48 states would be Mount Rainier, just, um, you know, uh, a couple of hours north of here uh, because that's the largest volcano in the Cascade Range. Hasn't had a major eruption probably for about a thousand years. And if it did erupt, uh, would cause a lot of damage to uh, uh, the big cities of Washington, such as Seattle and Tacoma and places like that. All Thank right. You, any, you have any other questions, Ralph? One that's one, if I could, Paul, I've always wondered about this. When it came to Creation Week, and after, uh, uh, I guess, if it had everything gone the way uh, it had planned to go, how how would it have worked with Adam and Eve in the different seasons? Would we have always had a tropical layer, or how would the seasons, how would that all work out mm. with the rotation and... and yeah, well, God uh, says in uh, Genesis 1, let's just look at what Scripture says, because it's very important on these things to stick to what Scripture says. So on uh, day four of creation, uh, this is when uh, God made the astronomical objects, and I don't think um, Jason's going to say anything different from what I'm going to say now. Uh, it says here in uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 14 God said let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years so uh, that God actually intended there to be seasons in the perfect world that was set up in uh, in the creation week now seasons are caused um, by the eccentricity of the earth's orbit and also by the angle of um um the angle of declension the fact that the uh, the polar axis of the earth um uh, the axis of rotation of the earth is set to an angle to the perpendicular of the of the orbital plane uh to a, a to an angle of about 23 degrees so what i'm saying here is that that angle must have been like that during creation week uh, therefore, I don't think it would have been very different. I'm also quite sure that before the flood, and therefore probably even during creation week as well, there would have been regional variations because we like regional variations. I'm not saying there would be extremes. Um, the sort of extreme cold and extreme hot that causes injury to people wouldn't have been put in place in creation week. But, uh, you know, we need variety to keep the air moving, to keep it uh, cleansed and so on. God would have put these systems in place. So um, I think that there were different climates before the flood as well. And some people have suggested that the different layers that we get in the rocks are due to different ecosystems, different climates in different parts of for the pre-flood earth so from that point of view while it was created as a perfect world uh, without the extremes without the dangers we have today without volcanoes without uh, such matters nevertheless it was a world of variety a world where god had set things up so that there would be seasons in the world so paul with that let me ask you because there i think you and i think also Jason Lyle would have a view that's different than what many creationists have been taught about a canopy. 
And well, most <laughs> most creationists most creationists haven't to use the canopy theory for about thirty years. That is well out of date. Now it does ca- take time sometimes to catch up with these things, but no, uh, there could not have been a vapor canopy above the atmosphere. Uh, and what, what there are scriptural reasons and scientific reasons. Uh, the scriptural reasons would be that God separated waters from waters with uh, the firmament. So if we look at that, there it's uh, in. Um, Genesis 1 verse 6. Uh, I'm reading from the ESV here. It says, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. Expanse is a good translation. Uh, King James Version has firmament. Uh, what's the uh, Hebrew word that's being translated there is rakia. And rakia is related to the concept of something spreading, uh, just like um, uh, metal being hammered. What we're saying then is that uh, uh, the thing that's stretching, uh, Scripture tells us that God has stretched the universe. Um, he stretched the universe. It tells us uh, uh, in, in Isaiah that uh, God st- uh, stretched the uh, heavens like, a, uh, like it's, um, a curtain. So what God was doing there was stretching uh, waters from waters. It seems uh, most obvious to us, therefore, that uh, the waters above would be beyond the edge of the universe. This is to do with the stretching of the universe. We know that the universe is still stretching at a slow rate, not as fast as it was in the creation week. But it's still stretching at a slow rate because that's what gives us the red shift effects that we use to be able to measure how far away um, stars are. Um, so that that's where we see that. Also, another thing from Scripture, uh, if I may, Psalm 148, it says, praise him, you waters above. Now, Psalm 148 was written after the flood, quite a long while after the flood. So the waters above are still there. In other words, they could not have collapsed from the outside of the atmosphere at the time of the flood because they were never at the outside of the atmosphere. They were beyond uh, the edge of space. The rakir is not the atmosphere. It's the entirety of space. Now, that the scriptural arguments are always the most important. But scientifically, if there had been a, a canopy of water vapor, we know that water is the most important greenhouse gas that by the way short bunny trail is why we should not be in the least bit concerned about carbon dioxide concentrations you know all the stuff that the global warming people tell us um there are things we can say about that that uh, you know it's, it's, it's not scriptural but um, water vapor would if you had a vapor canopy that would have actually made the surface of the earth absolutely unbearable for life and yet god says that he made it uh, he made it perfect. The, the conditions during the uh, creation week must have been the best that they've ever been. So for those um, scriptural reasons and scientific reasons, we don't follow the canopy theory. The source of water has to have been the fountains of the great deep, because that's what comes first. In Genesis 7, the flood was triggered by the fountains of the great deep and the windows of heaven. So uh, in the mantle of the earth, there's still superheated water there today. Uh, Superheated water must have come up through cracks in the crust at the bottom of the ocean, the the great deep, in other words, and uh, superheated water would have been thrown high into the atmosphere. When that came down, that would have come down as rain, which is what's meant by the windows of heaven. That's why there was a source of water that was sufficient 
to keep going for 40 days and 40 nights because there simply isn't enough water in the atmosphere in clouds to produce 40 days worth of rain. But there, there was in what uh, happened uh, at the uh, beginning of the flood so that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and uh, that the earth was flooded that way. Okay, Mr. Taylor, but people have proven that, that it must be a canopy because we had people living to like 900 years old. And then after the flood that we must've had effects of, of the earth's, you know, the, the sun's radiation. That's why everyone is only 60 years old now. Argue that backwards, please. Uh, I mean, the idea that there were dangerous rays firing at the earth, but the, the, the canopy would protect that doesn't seem to make sense if God made a perfect world. That's not the way we look at it. So argue it backwards. Let's start from scripture. Clearly, the ages of the patriarchs decays after the flood. That is definitely true. Now, why would they? Why would they decay after the flood? The answer is because you've got a genetic bottleneck that you didn't have before the flood. There were only eight people who survived the flood. They were on the ark, and they're principally from one family. So there's a genetic bottleneck as the earth is repopulated, and that's uh, those uh, genetic defects and mutations that would happen from that point that reduce the age. And that makes a lot more sense anyway than uh, bombardment from the atmosphere. If bombardment from the atmosphere had uh, was now coming on the earth, then why did Shem still live for a long time? You know, Shem yeah. was born before the flood, but he carried on living, whereas if the bombardment of the earth has, was suddenly increased because of uh, a vapor canopy not being there, then he should have dropped dead much early. He should have died around the age of 70, but he didn't because the uh, the decay of ages was not to do with bombardment uh, from uh, the sun. It was to do with this genetic, with these genetic mutations, and therefore those genetic mutations follow uh, what looks pretty nearly to an exponential decay curve. If you... Uh, plot the uh, ages of the patriarchs in uh, Genesis 11, you will see that, that you get uh, what looks pretty much like an exponential decay curve, which is precisely what you would expect with the uh, um, increase in uh, genetic mutations after a gen the genetic bottleneck of the flood. You know, a great book to discuss that is, uh, and I forget who wrote it offhand, but Genetic Entropy. Yes, um, and and that goes into great detail. And that 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 book actually mathematically shows when we look at the the decay we have in in the DNA that it is it is mathematically impossible for humans to have been on Earth for millions of years. Um, I don't know if you remember. You may be looking it up now. To who wrote that? I forget who wrote it's it. But John, I think it's John Sanford. Um, let me look that up. Yeah, I am it's, just looking it up quickly. I'm pretty certain it's John. Yes, it is. I'm right. It is John Sanford. Yeah, John Sanford, Genetic Entropy. Um, you know, some other books, since we're mentioning it, that we can recommend. Folks, if you want to get some books on, you know, there was talk earlier about uh, carbon dating. Uh, Dr. Anthony Silvestro of Striving for Attorney Ministries has a book out called On the Origin of Kinds. Um, if you're looking in the video, it's right there, right? Mm. Right there. Um, but uh, you can get that at strivingforeternity.org in, in our store. Another book that you've written, since we were talking earlier about Six Days of Creation, you have – actually, you have a couple of books. Uh, you have a book uh, – um, forgetting the exact title, but In Six Days, I believe. And then you have another um, – you, you're talking uh, about the six days of Genesis. Uh, the six days of Genesis is the book uh, that you're referring to. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, a book, a book about dating methods, a very important uh, new book about dating methods would be Deep Time by my friend Michael Ord, uh, which would be well worth getting hold of. And uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, Six Days of Genesis is, is my book on the subject. If you want a book that uh, goes into um, a detail for the layman on the flood, then uh, my book Don't Miss the Boat would be what you might find useful at that point. And if you want to know about how I did that calculation earlier about how old the Earth is, then my book, uh, The Biblical Age of the Earth, would cover that one. So that's um, three of my books. And you can get all of them, if you want, at MSH, that stands for Mount St. Helens, mshcreationcenter.org, and yes. you'd be able to get all of them. So, Ralph, do you have any other questions for us tonight? No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Well, Thank if you. you have another question, I'll, I'll just put you backstage there, and there's a private chat. You can just say, hey, let me back in if you have another question, all right? Thanks again. All right. We're going to bring Ivan in here. Ivan is, is someone that I've actually gotten to meet in person <laughs> long, long, long ago. We did some evangelism together, um, and uh, he, had some, he had several questions for you, Paul. So uh, I'll let him go ahead. Hey, guys. Okay. Thanks for taking the questions. Um, I'm wondering why does the uh, T-Rex soft tissue evidence seem to get so little attention? I really don't seem to hear much about it. Um, it really gets very little attention because it's embarrassing to evolutionists, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Um, Mary Schweitzer was the lady who found the, uh, the soft tissue originally. And uh, uh, one of the problems is that... Um, you know, people said it couldn't uh, happen that way because uh, soft tissue shouldn't survive um, uh, uh, the 65 million years since T-Rex became extinct. Now, Mary Schweitzer is an evolutionist and um, she stuck to her guns, nevertheless, and says, no, there is definitely soft tissue. So um, you can see there's soft tissue there. Now, what the scientists are doing now is that uh, the last couple of uh, reports I've seen on it is that they seem to be trying to um, work out a sort of pickling mechanism, if you like, some sort of mechanism that uh, would explain why the soft tissue has lasted for 65 million years. So you can see that what they're doing here is not what we might call Baconian science, not using the Baconian scientific method. When you use the Baconian scientific method, you're supposed to look for results and then see what the conclusion of that would be. Well, uh, if you've got results, let's say you've got soft tissue of an animal here, then uh, an unfossilized material, then you're saying it cannot be 65 million years old and you have to look for an age that's less than that but instead of doing that they say no it has to be 65 million years old because that's how old the dinosaurs were that's when they went extinct therefore we've got to look for something else uh, that shows uh, how it's been preserved and of course they, they can't find such a thing um now, uh, one creation scientist, uh, Mark Armitage, has spent uh, quite a bit of time studying this himself, and uh, he's written papers um, on the subject. He found he he was able to dig up the uh, horn of a triceratops and uh, find soft tissue in that. And uh, the reason for uh, him doing that, uh, why that was such an important thing to do, was so that he had 
access to it. In other words, it was there for creationists mm -hmm. to investigate. And he makes his uh, material uh, available for creationists uh, uh, to look at as well. Whereas, um, you know, evolutionists are embarrassed by the uh, by the whole business of soft tissue as well. They might. What they're doing is they're starting from a false presupposition and they're building everything on that presupposition well they would claim of course not to have any presuppositions to be neutral but it is not in fact possible to be neutral on anything so they have a false presupposition now we are not neutral either we have a presupposition but that presupposition is that the bible is true so we will always filter what we know through the lens of scripture being true because that is uh, uh, what god has given to us now, you mentioned Mark, and he was in the news recently in a good way because many folks may have heard of him because when he did this research and put out the papers, he was fired from a tenured yes. position at a university. And recently, the court has ruled in his favor. That's correct. The California State University of Northridge had to pay him a large settlement because they fired him when he had tenure. Now, why did they fire him? basically because they didn't like the conclusions yes. that he discovered. And th this is the thing that you always, I mean, it's so frustrating when people are like, well, has this been double blind studied? There's no scientist that, you know, believe it. Well, no, the, the fact is when a scientist does teach what is what they find, they get fired, which is realistically people say, well, why would, you know, Mary Schneider, like, why would she come up with a theory that would explain for the T-Rex red blood cells? Well, very simply, she wants to keep her job. <laughs> I mean, yes. you, you don't, you do not keep your job teaching a biblical creation. Uh, yes. A great movie to see on that would be Ben Stein's, and he, Ben Stein's Jewish. He's not a Christian, but he did the movie Expelled, and he basically showed all these people that when they teach even, you know, intelligent design, they get fired. If you teach that there is a God, that the evidence points to a creator, then you can lose your job. I, I like what Donnie Jack said in the, in the comments earlier. Uh, creation is proof of a creator, so atheists don't exist. <laughs> so, Ivan, you had some more questions. I don't know, I don't know if that fully answered the, the first one. No, that's good. I mean, I'm sort of wondering why creationists don't hammer the point harder, um, but – well, uh, I'll, I can quickly answer that. Of course, we do, but uh, where where do we get heard? You know, um, Mark Armitage is has to support all his own research from his own funds. Now, the uh, settlement he got helps, but you know, I do know that he he has to appeal for further funds. I think his website's markarmitage.org, but certainly he can be found. It wouldn't take much to uh, to find him. And I know that he, if, if you want to support some creation research, some some actual scientific. Research, research from someone who's at the cutting edge of things there um that would be it so a lot of this you know we're not rich people so often <laughs> despite the fact that some people have uh, accused me of saying well you're only in creationism you know to uh, for the money i think well <laughs> there's a, quite a few things i could have done that would have paid quite a lot more than this but uh, there we go and uh, that's the issue you know we don't have the funds and of course you don't get the access to the peer-reviewed science journals yeah, a lot of evolutionists say well if you've got the evidence you know publish it but of course you'll find as mark did that you cannot publish in the secular evolutionary journals because they will filter what they want to uh, uh, what they actually want published in there and they will not be publishing evidence that doesn't fit with their paradigm you know it's funny i i remember i'm not going to give the name because i i don't know if he wants this now there but there, there was a 
professor, university professor at Brown University, who, uh, you know, he retired and went to work at ICR. And it was funny because he said that all of his friends from the university said, what happened to you? You used to be so smart. <laughs> I know who you're referring to. Yes. Yeah. And it's very telling because what that does is it, it, it shows what they're thinking is that he used to, he, he didn't change his view any. It's just that now that he wasn't working at the university, he had the liberty to say what he always believed without fear of losing his job. And of course, he is a very smart man, if he's the yeah. person I'm thinking of. And he is a very smart man. Yeah, he very is. intelligent. So, Ivan, you have another question I think I saw earlier in comments. Yeah, it's not exactly creation. Maybe it's, it is, but it's. Um, I'm wondering what aspects of global global warming is are most profitable to discuss. Are there certain points that are better or worse to bring up when you're trying to reason with someone? Um, it's uh, uh, it isn't off topic. Okay, it's not one that I'm uh, a full expert on, though it is something I am currently researching. Um, uh, I'm getting more and more information on the subject. I have been asked to speak at a major conference in uh, the nor- in the Pacific Northwest next uh, um, next year on this uh, topic. So. Um, yeah, if we look at the end of Genesis chapter 8, this is what it says at the end of Genesis chapter 8. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Now, a certain well-known politician, uh, I'm not sure whether we should name the said, per- I'm not even going to say the gender at the moment um a certain well-known politician has said recently that uh, the earth is going to uh, completely come to an end in 12 years oh you're talking um, about al gore oh wait no wait that was about 20 years ago and he said it would end in 10 years i'm sorry oh he yeah. said he said that we were all the polar ice cap would have melted by 2014 that's what al gore said yeah. okay um well there's still a bit of ice there you know um no, I was thinking of uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Okay, she said the world's going to come to an end in twelve years, and therefore we need to um, well, cut uh, emissions. Gave her, you know, a great education on understanding global warming and the science. Absolutely, behind. yeah. And of course, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, we know that the Earth has not been warming uniformly. We know that for many years after the year two thousand, the Earth was actually cooling year on year, while uh, uh, the uh, the the profits of global warming were on the increase really at that time but um that, that's why of course they don't call it global warming anymore now they like to call it climate change because it doesn't matter whether the temperature goes up or goes down it's all our fault actually <laughs> actually no they've changed that again you're not to we're not to use climate change now the new term is extreme weather yeah and so they've changed it again right well, um, all these all these things are the fault of human beings because we're a cancer on the surface of the earth, and it would be much better if we all dropped dead and let the animals get on with it. Well, you know, these things are worth pursuing. Um, people should be should know that the concentration of carbon dioxide is not great, less than 03 percent, and it varies. It varies. And of course, there are other gases which are more potent in the atmosphere to do with greenhouse effects, the principal one being um, water vapor. Um, So that has a much greater effect on uh, the greenhouse effect than uh, carbon dioxide does. Of the 0.3% in the um, uh, 
Of that 0.3%, it is something like le uh, less than a one, one hundredth of that is actually caused by artificial emissions, industrial emissions. So the amount of carbon dioxide caused by um, emissions is very, very small. Now, of course, many people are these days telling us that carbon dioxide is a pollutant. Well, it's a very odd pollutant, isn't it? An odd pollutant that all plants require in order to grow. And if you increase the amount of carbon dioxide, then you get more plant growth. And if you get more plant growth, you're going to get uh, uh, more oxygen being released from this photosynthesis pro um, uh, 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 process, and you're going to get uh, uh, animal being able to survive as well. These things are cyclical. The infamous hockey stick graph that um, um, uh, Dr. Mann, I can't remember his first name, Dr. Mann invented that uh, Al Gore put such a lot of faith in, missed out entirely uh, whole periods in history when uh, the earth was warmer than it is even today. You know, um, it is pretty well established that there was a medieval warm period. Why do you think Greenland is called Greenland? Surely it should be called Whiteland since it's covered with ice. Well, it's called Greenland because when Vikings first got there, it was a green and pleasant land, you know, um, you said you'd been to uh, England, um, uh, Andrew, and uh, if you go to the north of England, you shouldn't be able to grow vineyards there. But, of course, in Roman times, they were growing vineyards around York and so on because climate has altered. There was a warm period, and then we went down into a little ice age. And when our modern scientific era was just beginning, uh, and so thermometers were begin beginning to be developed and uh, people were measuring temperatures. We were ju only just coming out of that little ice age. In other words, the temperature of the earth was at the lowest it really could have been within these cycles. So obviously, as the earth got back to normal, you're going to see a rise in temperature for much of the 20th century. These things are cyclical. And by the way, sometimes people notice that there is, uh, uh, you know, that the graphs of, um, Carbon dioxide concentrations seem to correlate with uh, average global temperature. But people should remember that correlation is not causation. And in fact, it's the uh, con carbon dioxide concentration that follows the uh, temperature, not the other way around. So in other words, carbon dioxide concentration has not caused a change in temperature. A change in temperature has caused a change in carbon dioxide concentration. Why? Because carbon dioxide is slightly soluble in water. And when you have gases dissolved in water, gases are less soluble at higher temperatures. So if the, uh, there's a lot of carbon dioxide, therefore, dissolved in the oceans. If the oceans get warmer, less carbon dioxide can dissolve, so they will give off carbon dioxide, making the concentration in the atmosphere greater. So the concentration of carbon dioxide follows the uh, mean global temperature, not the other way around. But these are natural cyclical effects and are nothing to do with uh, the Earth coming to an end in some uh, major catastrophe. Remember what it says in Scripture? God says that while the Earth remains, these things, these seasons, are not going to change. So we're not going to bring them to an end by these things. Does that mean that we uh, uh, are okay polluting the earth? No, of course not. We have a responsibility of stewardship over the earth, uh, which we should take seriously. So we shouldn't be doing, uh, shouldn't be polluting the earth, causing damage. Um, but, you know, this whole business about uh, global warming, climate change, extreme weather, whatever you want to call it, is um, 
It is very much a mythology. And I'll just say one quick last thing. If you want the experts on this subject who really studied this from a biblical point of view, please go and have a look at um, uh, uh, the website cornwallalliance.org, which is led by Dr. Cal Beisner. And uh, you'll get a lot of information there, scientific and biblical, on the subject of global warming. It was Cornwall Wallace? Cornwallalliance.org. Wall one word, cornwallalliance.org. All right. Maybe you could put that in the uh, in the comments and we'll make sure we get it right. Thanks, sure, guys. I'll type it in now. So, so here's, here's something to think about, Ivan, when it comes to global warming, okay? Um, there's a couple of factors. One, there are a lot of things that affect the temperatures on the Earth that we have to take into account, things like we have um, solar flares. We have a, a, a lot of things outside of the Earth. We have the magnetic field affects it. The fact that we have this uh, changing of the magnetic field every once in a while. There's a lot of different factors. But here's what ends up happening. We, these people that do the research, they basically say, okay, we're going to ignore solar flares, ignore this, you know, any solar activity. We're going to ignore the magnetic force. or Basically, ignore everything that's not human. And the proof of that is, oh, I'm trying to remember the year. This is probably in the early 2000s. <clears throat> they, someone hacked into in over oh, in yes. They had where they're doing all the research and was being compiled. <clears throat> and someone hacked in and released to the Internet all the records that they had on global warming. Yes. And most of the stuff that they were producing was fa- false data. Yes. They were not reporting proper data. They were there and they even released memos from the director saying that we needed to do this to force the politicians to take global warming seriously. And so what you end up having is you had you had them saying that they couldn't put the real data out. They had to put fake data out to try and force the politicians. And when this blew up, this guy tried to do a cop out by going, well, I'm I'm not a politician. I'm just a scientist. I just do the science. And my argument is. Dude, you left science when you tried to affect politics, <laughs> when you ignored the science and made up data to try to force politicians to behave a certain way, then you left science and entered into politics. And therefore, no, I think I think it is fair game to go after someone that does that. But yes. what you end up seeing that they do is they ignore everything outside of of human interaction. In fact, you have there behind you a picture of Mount St. Helens behind Paul there. Mount St. Helens did more to blow a hole in in the, you know, the they always talk about the this hole that's over, you know, um the the ozone hole over uh you know the northern pole. And they say, oh see, it's it's growing, it's growing. Well, every time there's a big volcano, that has more than the two nuclear bombs that we dropped on you know Japan. So if I mean we can't come up with more than nuclear bombs <laughs> and yet a single volcano does more damage uh, than a, an atomic bomb to the ozone hole. So the earth itself in their theory is doing far more damage than we could do. But the reality is that ozone holes closed up already. So what's the problem, right? This is the issue they have is that we, we're seeing it that as Paul said this cyclical cycle, uh, it's getting colder and colder and 
um, you're seeing them try to explain that away by not saying global warming. I remember you're too young, Ivan. You're way too young (laughs) to remember this, but maybe Paul would remember when I was a kid. I might be too young as well, but yeah. (laughs) Remember, you were around. You you were around in King George's time, weren't you? (laughs) I got to use a British reference. Um, So you know. Oh, actually, here. Wait, I should. Here. So here's here's a video I got from the library. Paul will like. You know the British royals. I'm gonna. I'm forward to watching that tonight. Um, but uh, but the uh, but the thing is that when when I was a kid, they were talking about a coming ice age. Yes. Now, what so was the 1970s, Yeah. Yeah. What was the solution to the coming ice age? You know, it was government intervention. We needed the government to take control. Well, now we have global warming. What's the solution? The government has to take control. Now we're getting cooling again. What do you think the conclusion is going to be to solve that one? Hmm. It sounds like it's really not a scientific issue. It's a political issue. It is very much a political issue. It's a geopolitical issue. Um, you're right. Uh, governments, uh, uh, there's the idea that governments can take control and do these things. But also, there's a little bit more to it even than that because if what they said was true and climate was uh, going to cause a major problem, you've got to see that uh, climate is not um, confined to the borders of any one country. So in order to uh, do anything about global warming, if there were such a problem, you would have to have international laws that would actually supersede um, the the laws of any individual nation. Basically, what they're saying is you would have to give control of all nations over to the United Nations. They could run everything because what a good job they would do of it all. So that's really what you've got where you've got a problem. You're dealing with something that would uh, uh, begin to uh, undermine the nation state, and there is a theological objection to that and so there are things there that we can be examining both in the science and in what scripture says about how climate is going to be and also in the sort of solutions to this non-existent problem that politicians are offering those solutions themselves are unbiblical and we need to call them out on it i mean i think this is one of many attempts that we've seen to try to create a one like a universal type government that is liberal um you know we end up seeing that there's many who uh they've tried different attempts global warming was one attempt it it really didn't succeed because you know they want to do this in the western world and they come up with all these things of in the western world for for doing this stuff but who's the greatest offender when we look at all this carbon emissions and all, China. And China yes. doesn't care a whit what kind of things the rest of the world comes up with. They don't care. They're not following it. It's, it's not an issue. China won't follow it and India won't follow it. Uh, and here's a, another reason that sort of gets me really a bit worked up about the whole business about global warming or climate change or whatever you want to call it. Uh, one, one of the things that they want to do is they want to cut carbon emissions so therefore they tell us that uh, we should not be using fossil fuels now you look at a country like for example Botswana which is doing a very good job at uh, bringing its infrastructure uh, infrastructure up to date what did um, western countries do when they wanted to industrialize their countries they used a lot of coal 
and a lot of oil, but especially a lot of coal. And Botswana has large coal reserves, and they would find it very useful to be able to modernize their countries to be able to burn coal and to, and to be able to produce electrical power stations so that um, uh, households were not having to burn the uh, animal and human excrement that they do quite often now, leading to all sorts of diseases. But, of course, they're being told they can't do that. There will not be aid for such countries. Uh, aid will be cut off if they start burning extra fossil fuels. Now, basically, to put in a nutshell what I've just said, the international community that are, in, that are um, uh, bothered about these, uh, this so-called global warming are trying to keep many so-called third world countries in poverty. It's a form of modern colonialism. Uh, let's actually tell you what fuel you're allowed to use, and we will not allow you to have the technology that we actually adopted in the past in order to modernize our countries. So they shouldn't be pretending that they're on the side of the poor. Far from it. They are keeping people, millions of people throughout the world, in abject poverty by the ridiculous uh, regulations that they are trying to impose on other people's countries. In fact, Ivan, if you think about it, if we didn't have global warming or if we did actually have global warming um we could feed a whole lot more people yes i mean because as as paul said in england where you can't have the the vines today the, okay but you if the if we had global warming you could you could actually feed more people because you'd be able to grow more food here in where i'm at in new jersey we only have a couple of months that we can that we can end up growing, you know, having a growing season. I, well, I used to garden. Now I'm, I travel too much in the summer. My garden's just. I look, went out there today. It's nothing but weeds, weeds everywhere. I got to do some some work out there. But but we only have a couple of months. If if we had two more months of of harvest, well, we could feed a whole lot more people, right? So that should be a good thing, right? There'd be some thinking for folks. So do you have any more questions, Ivan? No, that's it. Thank you, guys. Okay. Well, well thank you for the, those are good questions. Thank you. I'm going to put you in the back backstage there. And if you have any more questions, just uh, shoot me a message in the private chat. All right. Great. So thanks. We're going to go as always, Paul, I did. I did warn you of this. I did warn you beforehand that uh, we have a regular who always likes to come in whenever we have a new guest and it is traditional Catholic. Um, and so uh, he's, we, I just brought him in. He can unmute himself. I think it's James, right? I keep forgetting. I'm sorry. Is it James or Peter? Yeah, but, but in this case, uh, Andrew, it's somebody that uh, I agree with. Unlike you, I don't oh, agree with you. On, is it, <laughs> I agree with, I agree with Paul Taylor. <laughs> well, you might not, but, for long, but <laughs> what, what question do you have for for us tonight? Well, uh, Paul uh, Paul Taylor, I'm glad. I'm actually very glad that you have these young Earth creationists on your program, uh, like Dr. Silvestro and and Paul Taylor. And uh, if you could invite, perhaps maybe even huh. even uh, Kent Hoven or uh, Dr. Stephen Meyer from the Discovery Institute. Uh, but the thing is, uh, I wanted to uh, know, Paul Taylor, uh, if you've ever heard of the uh, Diamond Brothers of the Most Holy Family Monastery, because they 
uh, have put forth several videos whereby they present evidence for a young earth. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Um, uh, it's, uh, they made two points that I, uh, they made several points, but there's two that really stand out to me. And one of them is the fact that when you look at galaxies throughout the universe, when astronomers look at galaxies, they see that there is a huge number of uh, supernovae in many of these galaxies. And uh, based on their calculations of the uh, age of our own galaxy, there should be a huge number of supernova that had taken place. And yet there isn't. There's hardly any supernova. And they present a, that as one uh, evidence of, um, uh, you know, a young, not just a young Earth, but a young universe. And also, uh, with regards to evolution, uh, the very fact that DNA needs RNA and RNA needs DNA, neither of which can come about on their own. And evolution has to have a starting point, which scientists claim is abiogenesis. Uh, and yet they can't explain how DNA and RNA comes about. Uh, that right there suggests that, uh, you know, for example, a book can't write itself. Uh, so somebody has to write the pages of a book. And uh, RNA and DNA are actual code. Uh, so they can't come about on their own. So they, they present this as evidence, and I just wanted to see if you could speak on, on both that, the supernovae, if you know anything about that, and, and the, uh, the dilemma that scientists have with regards to DNA and RNA. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll have to go back over with what you said about the supernova again in a minute because my mind's a bit buzzing on these things. DNA and RNA, you're quite correct. It is, uh, it is, a, uh, it is a code, and therefore, as a code, it obeys the laws of information science. You know, the first law of information science is that uh, information does not arise from matter. It is not possible for matter to, uh, uh, to, to, to spontaneously produce information. This doesn't happen. It's very interesting, of course, that the um, Search for Extraterrestrial Life uh, Institute, uh, SETI, S-E-T-I, one of their criteria for finding extraterrestrial life is actually if they found a signal somewhere in the universe that um, <clears throat> was clearly a code signal, not a regular pulsing, but an actual code signal, that would show that it had been produced by an intelligence somewhere. And yet here we are in the microscopic world, you've got DNA, which is clearly shows a code, and that code must have been produced by an intelligence. Now, I would say that um, I, I, I'm quite happy to use that argument at that point and say, you know, that is consistent with a belief in God. I don't use that to prove God. And this may be where we start to put, uh, part company, because, of course, I uh, I would start from a presupposition of believing Scripture be tr to be true. But uh, given that we can say that that DNA clearly um, is a code, it clearly is a language, and it, 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 it makes no sense to uh, suggest that it could have evolved uh, randomly. It, uh, not, well, not only does it not make sense, it is scientifically impossible for it to have evolved randomly. It can only have been produced by being made by God. Now, I notice in the uh, the comment that you've put, I presume it's you who've put it in the uh, private chat area, you've put, all true Catholics are young earth creationists. Um, I'm not familiar with the Diamond Brothers. I am, however, familiar with the Colby Center. Um, 
and I have I did uh, write an article some years ago in 2006 on the um, uh, Answers in Genesis website uh, because uh, the um, previous um, Pope but one uh, well it was no it was actually under Pope Benedict at the time um, Benedict the sixth he was Pope at the time and there had there been an art uh, uh, um, an article come out on uh, from the Vatican called the gift of scripture and uh, the Colby Center which is a group of creationist Catholics objected to that um, uh, document because of course the document uh, was accepting of the theory of evolution using the uh, non-overlapping magisteria um, um, uh, theory and so the um, Colby Center objected to that and I wrote uh, an article on that um, where I did point out that their position within the Catholic Church is to some extent analogous to our position within uh, Protestant churches, but there, there is going to be a significant difference because of our starting points, and it's those starting points that matter. One of the problems with saying um, that uh, all true Catholics are young earth creationists is, of course, um, I mean, I would say that anyone who's got who's got their eyes opened ought to be a, a creationist and a biblical creationist using the biblical timescale. Um, of course, uh, an evolutionist would point out that saying that all true Catholics are young earth creationists is um, a, a logical fallacy in, uh, you know, in the sense of being the the all uh, the all, no true Scotsman fallacy. You know, the no true Scotsman fallacy. Um, Hamish is saying uh, that no true Scotsman ever put uh, no Scotsman ever puts salt on the porridge, and it's pointed out to him that Jock does put salt on his porridge, and therefore he says, "Well, no true Scotsman would ever do that." Um, in the same way, of course, we have to point out that many people in positions of authority in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, are quite happy to accept the theory of evolution. And we're not simply talking about um, Pope Francis. Uh, and I would take your point that um, Pope Francis doesn't seem to be representative of traditional Catholic uh, opinion. But, uh, you know, previous popes, uh, Pope Benedict uh, was supposed to have been a traditional Catholic, John Paul II. Uh, these were people who spoke about uh, evolution. And, of course, the, you've got the Vatican observatories that will uh, talk about the Big Bang theory. And so, generally speaking, those who are in uh, positions of authority in the Roman Catholic Church seem to have be quite happy to mix um, their version of Christianity with uh, the theory of evolution. Uh, you might have to remind me of your point about the supernova so I can comment on that because uh, I'm sorry I, I not uh, got a bit confused. There. Well, the thing is uh, you had mentioned that uh, the, they're the hierarchy but the we traditional Catholics don't accept them as the hierarchy because they are promoters of the Vatican II Council. We believe that they departed from the one true Holy Catholic Church ever since the 1960s yeah. because the Vatican II Council actually contradicts infallible traditional dogmatic teachings of the Holy Catholic Church. And yeah. so they're modernists. They're not actual Catholics because the first Vatican Council actually uh, infallibly condemns modernism as a heresy and yet they embrace modernism uh that's why they didn't invite any young creationists or an, uh, any uh, uh, uh intelligent uh, promoters of intelligent design to a convention they had recently all they did was invite evolutionists because that's what they believe they don't yes. even believe that there was an adam and eve 
or the, or if there was an Adam and Eve, they came from apes. So it's a it's a total uh, apostate religion. It's not the one true Holy Catholic Church because if you take a look at what the Holy Catholic Church believed prior to the 1960s, they all believed in a young Earth creation. Uh, that's what they believed. They believed in the biblical young Earth creation event. They never put forth any of this stuff about uh, you know, the Earth being millions or billions of years old. Uh, but that's what the Vatican II sect accepts because they are modernists. That's the modernist uh, interpretation, as they call it. But, okay. um, but with regards to the supernovae, well, yeah, I, uh, the I, Diamond I, Brothers I, of the Most Holy Family Monastery. Hey, James, we found something we can agree on. It's just that I, I apply what you said to the entire Catholic Church, and you want to limit it just past Vatican II. But go ahead with the supernova. Um. <laughs> Well, no, it wouldn't be uh, modernism. Uh, traditional Catholics don't embrace modernism. But uh, uh, with regards to the supernovae, uh, the super, the uh, the Diamond Brothers of the Most Holy Family Monastery. If you go to their YouTube channel, you'll see they have a very good video about this uh, called "Amazing Evidence for God: Scientific Scientific Evidence for God," mm. and they present numerous evidences of a young Earth. And uh, one of them, they they show that scientists themselves suggest they, they put forth the uh you know scientific facts where whereby they look the astronomers look at all these other galaxies and they see all these supernova and they put forth a date on all these galaxies and if our galaxy was actually as old as they claim it is then we should have a huge number of supernovae in fact uh we should have so many supernovae in our galaxy that the cosmic radiation from the supernovae, you know, the sun's exploding, should affect the Earth, whereby there shouldn't be any right. life on the Earth. The radiation wouldn't provide for any life on the Earth. And yet right. we don't see that in our own galaxy. I, I understand what you're saying now, and that, that, is, that is correct. There are various scientific evidences which are consistent with the biblical age. So uh, for uh, I, I, I'm not over-familiar with that one. It, uh, I, I think I have seen that particular video. It does ring a bell. Um, so I've sort of, it's on the edge of my consciousness, but what, what you said makes uh, sense that uh, the number of supernovas is a limiting factor, and therefore it's saying that the galaxy has to be uh, um, no more than a certain maximum age. Another one that, uh, that we're familiar with is the fact that uh, the galaxies are rotating, and they are of a spiral shape. Now, I think that it works that, uh, of course, that the forces produced by that should destroy the spiral shape in no more than about a million years. So what that's saying then is that uh, if that is the case then the galaxy cannot be more than a million years what we're not doing there with any of these evidences however is actually proving the biblical position the bible laying down that the earth is just over six thousand years old because to do that we have to start from scripture and this is where we will part company because scripture has to be our authority at this point i do i do accept what you're saying about um uh, what you're referring to as traditional uh, um, uh, Catholics, probably, I don't know whether you're one of those who uh, uh, wants to adhere to the Tridentine Mass and things like that, but certainly traditional Catholics from before Vatican II would have considerable differences with the, le with the Catholic leadership today, and I understand what you're saying there. But in order to actually evaluate those things, uh, one has to wonder, what is your authority on these things? Because you said that... Um, 
Catholics from before Vatican II would be um, uh, young earth creationists, on what authority would they be young earth creationists? As I think I said at the beginning of this uh, particular podcast, the reason why I don't call myself a young earth creationist is because my position is not defined in terms of opposition to evolutionists. My position is defined entirely in terms of what the Bible says about how God made the, the universe. Well, that's just just it. When you look at the uh, doctors of the church, the Holy Catholic Church, prior to the 1960s, they all point to Scripture and say that you must take Scripture as it is written. Uh, you can't go ahead and say, well, you know, it says this, but we're going to go ahead and say something different. So they're saying exactly what you're saying. Uh, throughout 2,000 years of Catholic history, prior to the 1960s, they're saying you must go by what Scripture says, and you must go by what Genesis says. You can't go ahead and give some sort of modernist interpretation based on evidences outside of Scripture. And that's what the Vatican yeah. II sect has been doing ever since the 1960s. And, and I, I am pleased that you take that position because it's, uh, it, it's um, I think, um, God willing, with prayer, it would be the sort of position that would lead you to a completely biblical position. But, I, you know, there is an issue of authority here. You talk about what the doctors of the church said before 1960. It would not be the case that the doctors of the church before 1960 would have held to a doctrine of sola scriptura. They would have had another authority. You would have seen the church itself as an authority. That is not the position that we start from, and our whole uh, our whole way of life. This is not some sort of um, particular doctrine that I pick up at this point. This is something that comes from my belief in sola scriptura. Um, uh, that that uh, my doctrine has to come from scripture alone, and has to be founded on scripture alone. And that's where we uh, that's where we get these positions from. But uh, you know, there are other people who will, in a sense, have common cause who would say we can't believe in evolution. We have to believe that um, the Earth has been created in a much shorter space of time. There would be other people who would take that. You know, when I was back in uh, in England, uh, I was quite often contacted by uh, Muslims who were creationists who wanted to make common cause. But as an organisation, um, the minister that I worked with then, we would not have been able to work with them. And uh, there are other religious groups who've contacted me while I've been here in uh, in the Pacific Northwest who I'm not able to. To work with, and in the same way, there's got the, 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 with, there has to be this foundation that God made things as He said in Scripture, because Scripture is our authority, not some sort of magisterium uh, uh, from the church or from the church doctors. It has to be from Scripture alone. Well, that's where we would depart, because Scripture never says that it is the ultimate authority or that it is the only authority. In fact, Scripture itself points to the church. <laughs> not the Catholic Church. Not yeah. the, that didn't exist Scr for several Scr hundred Scripture years. Scripture mentions churches, and that is where you see we, we could go over old ground over and over again. And what I simply wanted to do there, uh, I don't want to go onto a bunny trail at that point because we're trying specifically to answer questions on creation, but I did want to just underline the point, therefore, that uh, uh, while I welcome the fact that you uh, have got these scientific evidences that are of great interest and that, uh, that are best interpreted in the light of Scripture, 
scripture and make a, a consistent sense there. There is a point at which uh, we depart because uh, uh, there is this foundation there. And as you say, uh, you, you, you admit that uh, we do depart from uh, each other's position at that point. And you would not be alone on that. So it is important to um, have a position on Genesis, but there is more two things than that and that is why um myself and my brother andrew would uh, would point to the importance of scripture and to the five solas of the uh, of the reformation bringing us back to a scriptural basis and would not uh, hold to a doctrine where um a, a sort of church with a capital c a particular uh, uh, grouping would be uh, the the authority on these matters you know james a good thing i i suggest to get my book what do we believe and read the chapter on the church. I go through historically how that word has changed over time and what it's come to mean and how it gets used because what you end up seeing is the way you're trying to use it is not the definition that they had at the time of the writing of Scripture. So they didn't have that idea of church the way you're applying it uh, at that time. So, so they didn't have a hierarchy? <clears throat> they didn't have a hierarchy in the church? No, they didn't have that hierarchy Absolutely beyond right. and, and deacons. That's the only So, the, the only so they didn't so you're telling me they didn't have deacons, priests, and bishops in the early church. Is that what you just said? This is a great example, Paul, of what we have with James. You can say something and immediately after you say it, he ignores it. <laughs> yeah. Well, any any argument that starts with the word well, so, I, I just any know, argument that starts they, with the word so is obviously have, going to be something that I ignore because, as you say, you're well, deliberately taking things out of context. Uh, 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 Andrew's book does go into that, and I can recommend that you read that so that you can understand what the Bible has to say on that subject. Did the apostles have authority over the church? As I said, you could read uh, the chapter in Andrew's book on that subject, and that would give you the information that you need. All right. So, we're gonna... <laughs> <laughs> so James is a, is a regular. Uh, folks know that he comes in, and um, you know this is this is uh, not uncommon. Unfortunately, with him, uh, he'll tell us what we say when it's not what we say. He'll ignore what we actually say. Um, well, the, he would not be alone, and I have to say that there are some people in um, Bible-believing evangelical churches who would also get the wrong end of the stick, and I look out for any argument that begins with, so what you're saying is, because that usually introduces twisting what has been said and deliberately misrepresenting it, and I've come across that with many other people from different backgrounds, so please don't think that that is something that I would uh, uh, use to get at someone from a traditional Catholic position. It's a common thing. Uh, it means that that person is not thinking logically, not thinking in categories, in biblical categories, and certainly not listening to the arguments that have been presented. That's right. Now, uh, before we go to the next person, just to let folks know as a reminder, um, Apologetics Live next week, we'll have Dr. Jason Lyle. We'll be talking creation some more. There's a whole lot more topics we could talk with him. He is a, uh astrophysicist, so we'll probably be talking about some of the things that have come up recently in the news about some new objects headed our way um, and things like that that we've seen in the news. Uh, well, he, he is a, a very brilliant man, so make sure you tune in next week. Also wanted to remind you guys, uh, we do have a new Striving for Eternity YouTube channel. I'm in the process of moving all the videos over there. Made it easier for you to find it by just going to bit.ly.com slash YTSFE. So bit.ly 
bitly.com and the the basically the acronym for YouTube Striving for Eternity YT SFE. Uh, that'll get you to a new channel. Subscribe there. Basically, we've always had a problem with YouTube. We started on YouTube way back when, and uh, we've always, before they had business accounts, and now our, they've kind of moved us to this strange account where we're half business, half not, and it's always been a mess. So we're trying to clean all that up now that we've gotten a, a or that we're set up with Google for nonprofits. So go out to bitly.com dot slash YTSFE. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, well, you're already there. So go subscribe. If you subscribe, you'll know when we go live every week. Um, so if you're having, this is a first time visiting with us. Welcome. I should have said that way back in the beginning of the show. Uh, we're glad to have folks with us. Uh, Dr. Uh, or sorry, not Dr., but uh, Paul Taylor uh, is with Mount St. Helens Creation Center to go check out his website. It is mshcreationcenter.org. If you ever want to go out and visit Mount St. Helens and get a tour, things like that, it is a great place to uh to go and visit and learn a lot about creation uh, and see what's going on there. So I have a feeling I, I may know uh, who this might be next. We have Gerald uh, and Paul. I have a feeling if it's who I think, I'll, it'll probably be more for me to discuss. But <laughs> welcome to the show. Not so much that. Yeah, I mean, creation is fine. I just, I just, you know, I just, I just got a question for him. He might be able to help me out. Now, let me let me ask you. Let me ask you first. Are you the gentleman that called yes. the ministry at five yes. Sunday morning? Yes. Yeah. I, Thank you for waking me up early. I, uh, I, so, I, <laughs> and I saw this guy on YouTube. I heard the word Israelite. Yeah. We, so the ministry, the ministry phone uh, in the evening will we'll forward over to my cell phone. So we, I was like, my wife is like, who in the world is calling at five thirty in the morning? So what's the question for us today? I think something like that. However, though. But oh, my question. I'm I'm looking here in in the book of Genesis number, and and it says in the beginning, God created. So when it says that God created, I, I can accept that. I understand that. And it says he created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. This is where uh, my question comes in. He created darkness before he created the light. And if everything was dark and he created it, what was going on under the cover of darkness before he said, let there be light? Is there is there anything that could possibly be going on? Could there be life and planets and, and everything being created in the darkness? Very similar to how life has to begin in the darkness with anything that, that starts in life. Um, let's say you take a seed and you put it in the ground. There's darkness there and, and it promotes growth. Uh, inside of the womb, there is darkness there and it promotes growth. Um, anywhere there's a dark place, if you go through a dark time, when you come out of the dark time, you have grown from the experience of being in the dark. So uh, the possibility of him or the spirit of God that hovered over everything uh, created 
uh, everything under the cover of darkness, and he said, let there be light. And this could possibly be the Big Bang Theory. You know, uh, not let, let there be light, and now here comes the light, and it shows everything that was created under the cover of darkness. Is that possible? It's not what it says. Um, it tells us exactly how God created things uh, in the in six literal 24-hour days in the following verses. One of the difficulties that we have with uh, language at that point is um, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, putting this down, uh, needs to be able to use words uh, to describe things before the, there was a lot created. Now, I don't really fully understand ever why it is that God didn't create everything instantly. And of course, um, Martin Luther came across this problem in his day. There were some of his followers who had really gone a little bit astray, who said, who said that the six days of creation were figurative, and that what actually happened is God made things immediately and then revealed them, which is not quite the same as what you said, but it's analogous. And it's also analogous to people who will say to me that the six days are allegorical of a longer period of time. But so uh, the point is that this doesn't fit with the rest of scripture so that when for example we're told that uh, um, there should be one day in seven uh, where uh, where we rest the reason given in scripture is because god says in six days i made the world um and that's the, that's that's what he said about how he made the world so that's a reason for that and it wouldn't make sense that particular phrase in exodus 20 verse 11 would not make sense if god hadn't made the world in six literal 24-hour days. Now, you say uh, darkness could therefore be when other things were going on. Um, In any language where you might use the the word darkness, that would be a possibility. But what you have here is an incomplete creation. And what you're actually having here is is there's darkness over the face of the deep, um, not in spite of God not yet having created light, but because God has not yet created light. Uh, we, uh, I don't fully understand in my head how you can have a partially created universe, but that is what we had. God began to do it. He made a universe where the, uh, uh, put the, the materials in place where things are without form, form and void, where there's darkness over the face of the deep, where the Spirit of God is providing the energy there, hovering, but then, uh, then eventually he, uh, he makes light and so on. Could that be a Big Bang theory? No. It could not be a big bang theory for the reason I mentioned earlier in the program that uh, you can count up the uh, data, uh, the approximate date of creation uh, by adding up the various numbers in Genesis. And here we have six 24-hour days, and therefore you do not have the possibility of having uh, uh, a big bang of uh, millions or billions of years before that. It doesn't fit with that. You've got to allow Scripture to um, interpret Scripture. So that's why the, 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 that is not possible at that point, because God is here telling us exactly exactly how he did create the world. When, and so, hold on, let me, the, the one thing to think about, what, what is darkness, right? Darkness is the absence of light. So in the context, what's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that God created light. So, so darkness is the absence of light, and he hasn't created that light yet. Once he creates the light, the darkness is gone. So that's the distinction he's making there. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I agree with you. I, I mean, I understand that, but how is it? How is it that 
that things are formed in the darkness and, and things are able to live in the darkness and to strive and to grow and to do so many things in the darkness when there is no light available. Well, hold on. What's, what was growing and living? Because as we look as we look at Genesis 1, right, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Mm. Right. Well, what, what he's, what he's saying is that today, what he's saying is that today in darkness you get things growing, and that's true. But what we've got here is a sequence of what God made. So you know, it's not up to us to sort of add things to them. Say in this initial darkness in verse one that there could have been things growing. After that, you know, God makes plants on uh, day three of creation, and we've got evening, we've got morning. So there must have been periods of light and darkness at that time, and things could be growing from that point on that is true that uh, things do need dark to uh, the ju- seeds need dark to germinate but that's go. not what that is not what's being said in uh, verses one and two of genesis that darkness is simply there because god has not yet made the light which he does as his very next act exactly and so so what you're saying is is that there has to be light inside the entire universe before you can grow the trees that, that, that he talked about in the six days. I'm not saying what has to be there. I'm, ex- uh, I'm simply saying what God did in the order that he did. You know, some people have said to me, well, Genesis tells us why God made the earth and uh, our scientific ideas of uh, evolution and the Big Bang tell us how he did it. But that's not the case because actually, although there are places in the Bible that tell us why God made the earth, nowhere in Genesis 1 does it say that. It says nothing about why God made the, uh, no, the earth and the universe. It's, it's So what we have in Genesis 1 is simply a record of what God did. Yes, yes, yes. I, I agree with that. I mean, I totally agree with that. Do you, do you, Gerald, I understand. Do you, was, you believe in evolution? Do you, that? do you believe in evolution? Uh, <laughs> no. Okay. Creation. Do you, do you believe that the earth is a, is around 6,000 years old? Uh, well, I, I agree. Yeah, it has to be at least that old. I mean, I, I agree that the, that, the, that the world is at least 6,000 years old, and it's, and it's got to be older. Yeah. Do you believe it would be six to 10,000 years, or do you believe it's millions and billions of years old? I think I, I think it's got to be millions of years old. It's got to be. Why does it got to be? It's got to be because of because of the 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 things that are here, the evidence that we have here. Okay, let's take a look at uh, the Grand Canyon. <laughs> I mean, okay, really? I mean, okay, let's look at some very simple. Very simple. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to involve anything, you know. Complicated. Yeah, no, no. The re- the reason I laughed is because well, the Grand because Canyon is actually very we, simple. The Grand Canyon is actually very simple. Yeah, that's uh, why we Grand look Canyon, at the Grand Canyon could not have been carved by the Colorado River because if it had, there would have been a delta where the material would have gone. The Grand Canyon wasn't carved by the river at all. The Grand Canyon was carved by flood water draining off the North American continent as the North American continent was lifted up at the end of the flood, and it happened it. in a. It happened very, very fast indeed in a matter of days. It. And the Colorado River would have gone through afterwards. So so you're saying that that is possible to be done within five or six thousand years? Absolutely. The 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 carving of what we have there. No, no, no. Remember that happened very quickly. Even even discover if you watch Discovery Channel, they had a program about the Grand Canyon, and it was it was hysterical because what they said was they they had all the evidence to prove that the the canyon was carved quickly from a flood and they were like but it wasn't a global flood 
Well, that's their bias coming in. The reality so the is, when you, was the- yeah, when you look at the, the sedimentary layers that you had okay. that moved in, okay, when it was carved out, you you on, the only way to explain that is a, a very large rush of water coming in, not a little bit of water over a long period of time. You had to have a lot of water over a little bit of time. Even the secularists recognize that now. They just want to deny that it was a global flood. But I, I have to I have to say that, okay, this water has to start somewhere. And if it carved out the Grand Canyon, it would have carved everything out that was in line with the water. I mean it would it would have taken out a couple of states. I mean, you know, if you have this much water that can do that much damage that fast, the Grand Canyon won't be the only thing that it destroys. And we did have a lot of water because there was water covering the whole earth at the time. But again, on the subject of there being uh, millions of years, you know, we've got, got, for example, the witness of Jesus himself. And Jesus Jesus is asked about marriage and his his answer on that subject in Matthew 19, uh, verse 4 is, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now, the phrase from the beginning, he's talking about uh, Adam and Eve there from the male and female being from the beginning. because he then goes on to quote about Adam and Eve, which says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So that what um, uh, Jesus is talking about, he's saying is at the beginning, from the beginning. And uh, the, wor- the word used there, arche, is the same word in the same context that's used at the beginning of John's gospel when we say in the beginning was the word, which I think most, uh, almost every theologian would accept is referring to the beginning of creation, not the beginning of humankind, but the beginning of creation. Jesus is therefore saying that Adam and Eve were from the beginning of creation, not after a period of millions of years when they suddenly appear. They were right there at the beginning of creation. Of course, uh, the sixth day of creation, as we read in the detail in Genesis 1. So uh, the, the concept of the earth not being millions of years old is basically what we're learning there from what Jesus taught. What Jesus said is not compatible with there uh, being millions of years, but is compatible with the biblical time scale of just over a thousand years. Hey, Paul, we have about six minutes left, so let me ask you this with the, with the Grand Canyon. Mount St. Helens, eruption in about three hours. There is a canyon that was carved. Maybe you could talk about that, because it's not as large as the Grand Canyon, but we know exactly because we have footage, we know exactly how long it took to carve that canyon. That's like one. Well, we, we, we often call it the Little Grand Canyon, and it was carved out in a minor eruption um, by a large mud flow uh, produced on uh, the 19th of March, 1982. And that uh, whole canyon system was formed in the space of nine hours. Now, although we call it the Little Grand Canyon, it is actually pretty substantial. It's, uh, it's a mistake in a way, but it is because the Grand Canyon is so awesome and so awe-inspiring. The Grand Canyon is 40 times bigger than the Little Grand Canyon. So therefore, the Little Grand Canyon is pretty big. It's 200 feet deep in places. So you see, at the same sort of scale, the Grand Canyon would have been formed in about seven or eight days, not in, in millions of years. Uh, because as I said, the, uh, the Little Grand Canyon near Mount St. Helens was carved out in nine hours. And of course, we have no doubt about that because, you know, it was seen to happen. Yes, yeah, so... So I know we're, we're coming up to the, the end of the show. Um, so, Gerald, you're, you're always welcome to come back. Oh, yeah, I'll be back. I'm just here for now. Not welcome to call me at 530 in the morning. No, no. 
<laughs> I just happened to see your video that says something about Israelites and our, and, and our abilities to be able to think for ourselves. Whoa. Whoa. Um, I'm What's not sure. I wasn't sure what video that is, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you and I'll have a, and maybe we could set a full two hour show aside and you and I can talk about who are the Israelites and all, um, because I will argue that I'm an Israelite because I can follow my genealogy back to Levi. Um, okay, well, that, that, that means that you're not lost then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not part of the lost tribes if you can find your way back through it. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, we're going to have that discussion. <laughs> um, but uh, we're going to, we're just going to, we're coming up at the end of the show. That's cool. That's so, cool. but you're, you're welcome. Hey, and I, and I appreciate you guys. Thank you for the knowledge. And it gives me something to kind of go back and study and all that good stuff. And I really wanted to show up because I heard that most of the Israelites don't. So I just want to kind of, I want to be that one to say, hey, look, we showed up. Don't show an empty chair on us anymore. So we're cool. <laughs> no, I know what you're talking Okay. <laughs> the video you're referring Thank to. You, gentlemen. The video you're referring to, I'll, I'll tell you for Paul's sake and, and others who are listening. I have been challenged in New York uh, by and and online by many uh, Hebrew Israelites that they they used to go by the name Black Hebrew Israelites that, that That's right. don't That's like right. that anymore. So, um, but uh, basically, the the argument was would be that the African slave trade uh, was what brought the Israelites over to America, and that they, that they were the Israelites. So, with that. Uh, I had all these guys always debate for a year and a half, challenging me to debates and challenging me. And so we had three guys. It was going to be three against one and they were going to debate me and we had it set up and they blocked me on social media and we couldn't send them the link to join. So the moderator was like, what are we going to do? I said, let's have the debate. He's like, what do you mean? There's no one to debate. I said, let's do it. And so basically what I did was I was just going to shame them for, for doing what they did. And, and I just, that's right. That's right. I understand. I told the moderator to just introduce me and let them, let them introduce themselves. And he's like, what are you going to do? So sure enough, when it came time to introduce them, I put up a picture of an empty chair. Uh, it, did, it did get, it did get Zadok, um, to come out and we did a, a, an actual formal debate, he and I. Uh, so that actually is, is there on the, on the, uh, or the old YouTube channel. I'm going to move that over. I'll try to move that over tonight so that folks can go to the new YouTube channel that I had put up earlier. I'll leave you guys with this. This is just a, a bit of knowledge for me that I'm still trying to figure out. And this is about the whole Christian thing because uh, the guy that you're debating, they believe in Christ. I mean, I'm an Israelite and I don't believe in Christ. So, and the reason I don't is, is and I'm going to hang my hat on this. This guy is a Jew, but yet in order to believe in him, I have to drink blood and I have to eat flesh. Now, to Jews, no, no, stop, wait, stop right there. Drinking, stop right there. Blood a, drinking blood is a no-no to Jews. Yeah, and no one drinks blood. They drink. They drink. What do we wine. drink? Wine. We it drink was, wine. Was, that represents what? It, well, the, the representation doesn't make it that. Whoa, 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 whoa! We cannot have ceremony doing all types of stuff and say that don't count. Yeah, but no, it's not. It doesn't change the ceremony. The the fact is, it doesn't change the material nature of what something is. We, we'll have to, we'll have to pick this up another time. <laughs> so, yeah. That's something that you, can get, that you can kind of take what you and kind of get you an answer together on. Because mm-hmm. This dude got us; he has us drinking his blood, and he just no, he doesn't. Prohibited, 
bottom of time. No. Yeah, we, we don't drink blood. We What is drink is, is well, back then it would have been wine, and what we drink today in churches would be grape juice. But he uh, said, this is my blood, drink it. He and, also said he's a dwarf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah and he's a dwarf. So, and then they said that my God committed yeah. uh, so sacrifice, I'm gonna, human sacrifice. We're, we're going to we'll pick this up another time. <laughs> gotcha, guys. Thank you, man. I appreciate you, Doc. I'm going to your website. I'm going to look this stuff up because I want to know about creation myself. I am I am very ignorant of it, and I'm searching knowledge, so and I appreciate if it. You, if you go to strivingforeternity.org, a good book for you to pick up is going to be Dr. Sylvester's book on the origin of kinds. So at strivingforeternity.org, uh, there's a store there, and get the book on the origin of kinds. That would be a great book to have. Uh, it also will give you some of the arguments for a young earth um, in, and give you an argument from a presuppositional view that we were talking about earlier on the show. So, so, okay. all right, I'm going to put you, I'm going to put you in the backstage while we, while we close out. That's cool. you guys go ahead, man. You guys have a great day. I just wanted to come in and at least show my face and get a feel for it. And I like it. Good. All right. See, Bless see you. you. Thank you. So, Paul, thank you so much for coming on. I, I, I knew it was going to be fun. Even I hope folks can understand you without translation. Um, <laughs> um, that's, yeah. a, that's a joke that Paul and I have had for a long time. The, the, the humorous part of it, Paul got me back. Um, we, we were doing a conference together, and the whole time I kept asking if people needed translation. It was in the Midwest where they call it water, not water. And... Uh, I, I turned to the moderators. We're getting ready for a Q and A, and I'm like, "Hey, you know, Michael, can can we get some waters up here?" And he goes, "What?" And I mean, I've never seen Paul move so quick as he grabs he grabs the microphone and says he would like some water. <laughs> Everybody was laughing. I totally deserved it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was good. Um, so, folks, go check out. Um, mshcreationcenter.org to find all of, about what Paul is doing. If you happen to get out to Mount St. Helens, it would be uh, great to stop in there and pay a visit to the, the center. I've been there myself. It's There's a lot to see. Paul, anything you want to share before we close out? Um, no, we've covered a lot of ground uh, today. We didn't mention about uh, the spiritual battle going on in Britain over Britain trying to get away from the evil satanic organization known as the European Union. But uh, we, you know, maybe that's for another time. But uh, yeah, no, we've covered a lot of ground today. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having coming on, and uh, you know, it's always a blessing to be with you. And I, I, I like what Donnie Jack says here. I need to read Paul's books with an with his accent in in my head. <laughs> that, would, that would do well in reading the books that way. Um, oh man, yeah, there is always this rumor, isn't there, that if you talk with a British accent, you're supposed to be more intelligent. But you know, that applies to Richard Dawkins too, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, I agree. <laughs> listen, listen, there's one thing I would say. You and Richard Dawkins properly explain that word, not creation. What's that word that Dawkins uses that he believes in? Evolution. 
Yeah, how, well, how that's, right, it, yes, that's right. In England, we would pronounce it evolution. Evolution. Right. I agree. Evolution. <laughs> I, I think, I think that is the proper pronunciation for it, evolution. Uh, dear evolution. Me. I, you know, I've, been in, I've been in the United States so long, I actually couldn't, <laughs> I didn't remember that. Uh, the first thing I just thought of the word evolution straight away. It just shows I'm becoming Americanized, drinking coffee instead of tea. And uh, <laughs> uh, you might even start persuading me that if you play a game where you run around with your hands around an egg-shaped object that that's called football, but I can't see that yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I don't watch either one. So, so folks, make sure to tune in next week. We'll have Dr. Jason Lyle here. Remember, you can always go to apologeticslive.com every Thursday night. The details to watch and to join are always going to be there. And so that's something to just remember. Um, we appreciate all of those who are who come in and watch. Make sure you go back. This will be a podcast on the Christian podcast community. So go search for Apologetics Live as a podcast on whatever podcast catcher you have. You can catch this whole thing if you're like me and you like to listen to things quicker. I actually listen to Paul's. Okay. Paul, because of the accent, I slow him down to two and a half speed. <laughs> Most Americans are just at three speed. Uh, but yeah, so Marcy put, puts in there, thank you, Andrew and Paul. God bless you both. This was my first time listening. I look forward to visiting again soon. So we, we're glad to have you here. So this has been a ministry of Striving for Eternity. That's who hosts this. Uh, I, I do want to mention, if you want to support us to help us be able to do this uh, more and other things, you can support us at strivingforeternity.org slash donate. Uh, that would help us out tremendously. We would appreciate that. So until next week, remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. See you next time.